The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. With great honor and humility, I accept this nomination for President of the United States of America. Joe Biden vows to restore the soul of America in his closing speech at the Democratic National Convention, saying President Trump has failed in his most basic duties to the nation. Doctors in Russia say they are battling to save Alexei Navalny's life after the suspected poisoning of the Putin critic, with reports suggesting he will be flown to Germany for treatment. German Chancellor Angela Merkel and French President Emmanuel Macron say they are against any fresh lockdowns, vowing to avoid further border closures at any cost. Plus, a judge in the United States dismisses parts of a lawsuit claiming VW misled investors around the German carmaker's emissions scandal, but upholds SEC claims against the former CEO Martin Winterkorn. So let us get straight to one of our top stories. And of course, we would have all seen yesterday uh, what is a suspected poisoning uh, of Alexei Navalny. We're getting, um, we're getting comments straight out of the uh, spokeswoman of Mr. Navalny, um, who is now being treated in Russia, but potentially going to be treated in Germany. Uh, the head doctor at the Siberian hospital treating the stricken Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny says he's not well enough to be moved. Uh, this, according to Navalny's spokeswoman, um, is unstable. The condition is unstable. Uh, the relative desire to move him elsewhere is insufficient to justify such action. Uh, the spokeswoman adds that uh, leaving Navalny at the Siberian hospital is mortally dangerous because it lacks the necessary equipment and there is not yet a diagnosis. And of course, um, there's been other flashes out there uh, regarding uh, what happens next to Mr. Navalny and whether he will be flown to Germany uh, to uh, specialist hospitals that specialize in uh, toxicity as well. But that uh, remains to be seen whether that will indeed be the case. But at the moment, Navalny's spokeswoman saying uh, not well enough to be moved, uh, the uh, uh, Putin critic, Mr. Alexei Navalny. Well, NBC's Richard Engel has filed this report overnight. Alexei Navalny, the Kremlin's most outspoken critic and anti-corruption name and shamer, drank tea before boarding a flight from Siberia to Moscow. In midair, he was suddenly very ill, moaning in agony. The plane made an emergency landing. Navalny wheeled to an ambulance and taken to a hospital. His spokeswoman said she suspected the tea was poisoned by an unknown toxin. It's unclear if this image shows the poisoning. A doctor confirmed he was stable in a coma on a ventilator. Navalny, according to his lawyer, was already poisoned in police custody last year. Another time, he had a green dye thrown in his face. He said it nearly blinded him. Navalny's been arrested time and time again. And many of Putin's critics have mysteriously become ill or died. Politician Boris Nemtsov was shot and killed near the Kremlin. Activist Vladimir Karamurza was poisoned twice and survived. 
Investigative journalist Anna Politkovskaya was shot dead in her apartment building. KGB whistleblower Alexander Litvinenko had a radioactive poison slipped in his tea in London. He died. Russia denied poisoning Navalny, even wished him well, and promised an investigation if it was poisoning. Navalny expressed support for these protesters here in neighboring Belarus, who say their Russian-backed president stole the recent election. These demonstrators plan to hold a mass gathering this weekend that could draw 100,000 or more. And of course, we'll update you on any further developments in that story. Uh, Joe Biden, meanwhile, has formally accepted the Democratic nomination for president, capping off the party's four-day virtual convention with a speech laying out his vision for the office. Speaking from his home state of Delaware, uh, Mr. Biden vowed to help the country recover from the pandemic and hit out at the president over his handling of the crisis. I understand something this president hasn't from the beginning. We will never get our economy back on track. We will never get our kids safely back in schools. We'll never have our lives back until we deal with this virus. The tragedy of where we are today is it didn't have to be this bad. Just look around. It's not this bad in Canada or Europe or Japan or almost anywhere else in the world. And the president keeps telling us the virus is going to disappear. He keeps waiting for a miracle. Well, I have news for him. No miracle is coming. Biden also detailed his plan to support the American economy, saying he will start new infrastructure projects to drive growth. My economic plan is all about jobs, dignity, respect and community. Together we can and will rebuild our economy. And when we do, we'll not only build back, we'll build back better with modern roads, bridges, highways, broadband, ports and airports as a new foundation for economic growth, with pipes that transport clean water to every community, with five million new manufacturing and technology jobs so the future is made in America. Uh, Biden's address ends a week where Democratic leaders have taken aim at President Trump, questioning his leadership and conduct whilst in the role. Donald Trump's failure of leadership has cost lives and livelihoods. What we're doing right now is not working. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously, that he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. A president's words have the power to move markets. They can start wars or broker peace. They can summon our better angels or awaken our worst instincts. You simply cannot fake your way through this job. I've seen firsthand Donald Trump's disrespect for facts, for working families, and for women in particular. Disrespect written into his policies toward our health and our rights. President should never say it is what it is. President Lincoln, honoring the great sacrifice at Gettysburg, didn't say it is what it is. President Roosevelt, seeing a third of the nation ill-housed, ill-clad, and ill-nourished, didn't say it is what it is. America, Donald Trump has quit on you. Uh, the president responded to the claims, saying he was being attacked by, quote, liberal hypocrites. He also warned supporters that Biden's agenda would lead to chaos. 
If you want a vision of your life under Biden presidency, think of the smoldering ruins in Minneapolis, the violent anarchy of Portland, the bloodstained sidewalks of Chicago, and imagine the mayhem coming to your town and every single town. Uh, let's speak to Julia Bryan, who is global chair of Democrats Abroad. Julia, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, look, four years ago, you'd have said that Hillary uh, was in a very strong position, Hillary Clinton, uh, to take on Donald Trump as well. Now I'm sure you're going to tell me the same thing about Joe Biden. What is different about the failures of four years ago to this time around? Well, the failures of four years ago, that was, you know, it was a really different way to run a campaign. And it was also a different time. Donald Trump was an unknown person. He was um, someone who people were picking as a change. Now, four years later, the U.S. has experienced Donald Trump for four years. They've seen just how terrible it is when you have a president who's working for himself and not for the American people. In terms of the unity of the Democratic Party, I've spoken to one Republican this week who said the Democrats are still tearing themselves apart. But on the face of it, looking at the former uh, candidates for that nomination as well, they look like they were supporting uh, Mr. Biden in the build up to his speech. Would you say, hand on heart, that it's a very different atmosphere in the Democratic Party this time around? Absolutely. Well, first of all, Senator Sanders conceded and, and said, you know, go ahead, go. I'm supporting Joe Biden months ago. This has been a, a months in the making. So it wasn't, you know, a long brokered convention. We've, we've had a convention where we knew who our candidate was going to be for months now. And everyone's very much in support of Joe. Joe has also come really far to over from where he had been like in 2019. The, the 2020 Joe Biden is a really different person from the 2019 Joe Biden. And a lot of people have been able to come behind him and really support him because of that. It's great, actually. In terms of his record, though, um, some might turn around, and I'm sure some on the Republican side divide will look at the record of the Obama administration, of course, of which uh, Mr. Biden was the VP, uh, and say you didn't address all those ills in U.S. society. You didn't sort out the problem with median salaries and split, um, get that divide between the top 1% and the rest of America. And you didn't nullify those issues as well. You didn't sort out these problems. Stand by your record, Mr. Biden. Well, I don't know what they're forgetting, but if you remember, he came in after 2008 in the middle of a tremendous recession, and he and Obama were remarkable at bringing the, you know, pulling up the United States from the bootstraps and really recovering the economy. Without those two, we would have been in much worse situation. Well, we'd have been in what we're in right now with the pandemic. It never got that bad, and it, it's really thanks to their their efforts and the work they put in. So I, th I think it's it's really a bit short sighted to say that. OK, um, Julia, look, people are going to watch with great interest now that the nomination has been secured at the head to head and, and the, the war of words and between the president and indeed Mr. Biden as well. We, we know that Mr. Trump is working out where his best lines of attack are and, and trying to criticise him for being, well, I think, sleepy Joe or slow Joe. Do you think that actually this is going to be very difficult for Mr. Biden to combat uh, some of those barbs from the president? I doubt it. You know, when Trump speaks, he's speaking quite incoherently. Um, no one is really able to follow his his line of thought. And I, I just don't see this happening with with um, his conversations and his attacks. They're just they're so um, obvious. They're so personal. They're not really relevant often for you know what we're hearing. And Joe Biden's going to be really focused on the issues at hand and making sure everyone's seeing what he's going for. He's going to be reminding us, did Trump secede? 
what, what did Trump give to you guys? You know, that, that's really important for everyone to keep in mind, not just about the person, but about how he delivered and what he's been able to accomplish, which has been not too much. And again, those criticisms will focus on Mr. Biden's age. They have already focused on his cognitive abilities as well. Do you think those cheap shots, Julia, or do actually Democrats quietly have concerns about a four-year term for a man who I believe will be 78 uh, by the time he takes the presidency if he were to be successful? Well, first of all, both candidates are around the same age. I, I think that's going to be um, taken out of the equation. How can anyone argue, oh, this guy's 78, when this guy over here is also 78? I don't think that's a concern. And Joe has really shown that it's not his age that necessarily affects his, his speech. He has a stutter. We heard from the boy, who's the 14-year-old who was talking about the challenges he's overcome. Joe Biden has also overcome those same verbal challenges. Are you worried about the head-to-heads, though, as and when they come? No, I'm not. I think it's going to be really actually fun when we see um, Senator Harris up there on the stage with uh, Vice President Pence. We're all looking forward to that. And I really don't think, I mean, what we're going to expect to see with a Trump um, uh, debate is probably incoherence on one side and then Joe calmly speaking to what the American people need to see on the other. Yeah, Julia, you say fun, I say unbelievably fascinating. We're all going to get some sleep this night watching those debates as well. But in terms of the vice presidents as well, uh, undoubtedly a lot of criticism, a lot of attacks are going to uh, fall upon uh, Kamala Harris as well. What, what do you think of the VP? Is she going to be more proactive than VPs have been or potential VPs, I should say, uh, going up to the election as well? Is, is it going to be very interesting looking at Pence versus Harris as well and those debates? Well, she's an amazing character. I've met her several times and she is just full of charisma, incredibly energetic and someone who just reaches out and speaks to you as if she's known you for a long time. She's a wonderful choice of candidates because she's not only just really energetic and enthusiastic, but she's also incredibly smart. And I think she will jump in. She will be a big speaker for this uh, candidacy and this campaign. And we're going to be hearing a lot from her as uh you know, in the next two and a half months. It's going to be a really interesting time for us. All right, Julia, you sound very robust, but if you had one fear about the build-up to November, what is it? Voter suppression. It's really um, important for people to act early. Um, Right now, the Trump campaign is doing everything they can to throw challenges in front of people. We are seeing abroad the challenges they've been putting into um, place with the U.S. postal system. Democrats abroad is really working hard to put um, to make sure voters know they need to go now to register to vote, go to votefromabroad.org and just get their ballots in because otherwise it's going to be a real mess come November when um, ballots are piled up at the post office and they're not being able to get to the election office. Julia, I'm sure we'll speak in the build up to November as well, but thank you very much indeed for your time today. Have a, a good Friday and a good weekend as well. Julia Bryan, the global chair of Democrats abroad. Uh, Republicans kicking off their own virtual four-day convention on Monday from North Carolina, where delegates will formally re-nominate Mr. Trump. The rest of the week's events will then reportedly be held at a central location in Washington. The president said he will deliver his speech accepting the nomination from the White House lawn on Thursday. And one important point as well, which I know that uh, the Democrats are very concerned about, is that uh, the Republicans are are using uh, federal premises, apparently, um, to showcase uh, some of their speeches. And apparently that is a big campaign. No, no, historically as well. So interesting to see uh, how there are many facets to the disputes between the two parties. So uh, this is an interesting story. Did you see this one yesterday? I'm sure you did. Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon was arrested 
He was arrested on board a yacht off the coast of Connecticut. He's charged with defrauding donors in an effort to help build the president's proposed wall along the US-Mexico border. Jeff, not our Jeff, but Jeff Bennett from NBC has more. Another former Trump campaign boss tonight facing federal charges, Steve Bannon, once a top aide to President Trump, his first chief strategist in the White House, arrested off the coast of Connecticut this morning aboard a 150-foot yacht he does not own. Prosecutors say the 66-year-old, along with three others, raised more than $25 million in a campaign they said would go entirely to build sections of the southern border wall. Everything that this company is is doing to build the wall, it's all to support President Trump and what President Trump's trying to do to get a physical barrier on the southern border. If you join it and we get it out to your friends, it'll be a multiplier and we'll actually not just get a wall built, we'll save this country. But the government says they actually took hundreds of thousands of dollars for themselves. Bannon's virtual arraignment today captured in this court sketch. Steve Bannon was one of the architects of President Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. Mr. Trump distancing himself from Bannon today when pressed by NBC News. Mr. President, what's your reaction to the indictment of your former campaign aide, Steve Bannon? Well, I feel very badly. I haven't been dealing with him for a long period of time, as most of the people in this room know. Uh, he was involved in our campaign. He worked for Goldman Sachs. He worked, worked for a lot of companies, but he was involved likewise in our campaign and uh, for a small part of the administration very early on. I haven't been dealing with him at all. Uh, I know nothing about the project other than I didn't like, when I read about it, I didn't like it. I said, this is for government, this isn't for private people. And it sounded to me like showboating, and I think I let my opinion be very strongly stated at the time. I didn't like it, it was showboating and maybe looking for funds, but you'll have to see what happens. Uh, I think it's a, a very sad thing for Mr. Bannon. Respectfully, sir, it's not just Steve Bannon, it's Roger Stone, it's Michael Flynn, it's Rick Gates, Paul Manafort, Michael Cohen. What's it say about your judgment that these are the kind of people? Well, I have no idea. While President Trump says he knew nothing about the fundraising effort, longtime ally Chris Kobach told The New York Times in an interview last year, the president said the project has my blessing and you can tell the media that. Chris Kobach so says I you didn't, endorsed I didn't the wall, know, is that true? The I didn't project? know that. I didn't know about uh, Bannon's involvement. It was something that I very much... Uh, felt was inappropriate to be doing. Uh, let's get back to the uh, Alexei Navalny story, the potential poisoning story there. The man, of course, remains uh, in a critical position. Um, Navalny's spokeswoman is uh, uh, adding during a press conference now that doctors changed their mind about moving Mr. Navalny, accusing them of caving in to Kremlin pressure. The spokeswoman adds doctors' ban on moving Mr. Navalny is akin to an attempt on his life. Uh, adds the plane that can evacuate him <clears throat> is due to land near his Siberian hospital in one hour's time. Um, German plane thought to want to collect Mr. Navalny for treatment in, uh, in Germany is in Russian airspace, according to flight tracking data. Again, as I say, I promise you I'll update you on that, and I will. Uh, coming up on the show, jobless claims climb back above one million in the United States as a debate around reinstating uh, unemployment benefits rumbles on.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. into a little secret. I just had a little chat with the director. He says, well, let's just follow the rundown, Steve. <laughs> Forget that. Let's just do it this way. Look, these US markets. Yeah, look at that. Uh, usual kind of moves. NASDAQ outperforming to the upside. You get the point here. S&P 500 up. NASDAQ at another record, I should say. What's that? 40th record intraday high, 35th record closing level of the year. Dow still around about six points, uh, percentage points away from those records. But here's the interesting thing. And I'm just carrying on from what I said to you yesterday. Remember the European markets? The ones we had yesterday, yeah, they fell quite aggressively yesterday with the FTSE falling precipitously towards 6,000, you know, from its comfort zone around about 6,100. The DAX down around a percent. What were they down on the back of? What happened in Europe? No, nothing. They're down on the back of the concern about the FOMC. You remember that from yesterday? Uh, that's what the Asian markets were down as well about. So that we fell in Europe yesterday because of concerns about the US economy. And that was uh, compounded by the 1.1 million initial jobless claims and the 10.2% unemployment rate in the States and concerns that it's tipped above 1 million when the uh, economists were hoping that that uh, weekly figure was going to be a nine-handle figure. So we fell on the back of it. Yeah, the Americans in the end rallied on the back of it in their own markets. And what are we going to do today? I'll tell you in a few moments time. We're not going to rally really. I mean, it's a small rally. But so isn't it amazing that the real weight and heat from those bad uh, concerns about the economy, from what you didn't get out of the FMC, which bemuses me anyway, what you wanted out of the FMC, it's the European and Asian markets that took the heat on that. US markets found another big pool uh, of retail clients who wanted to buy the US. They wanted to buy stocks like these yet again, yet again. Um, Apple. Two trillion plus. What else can I say? Um, 2.2% higher. Microsoft, 2.3% higher. Netflix, look at those big gains across the board on the stocks that you absolutely love. You don't care about the valuation of Tesla. All you know is you want to buy it before the stock split so that you've got the rights to have four extra shares uh, in this one. You don't care because you think, oh, it goes in the S&P. The trackers will pick this one up as well. You don't care that it's trading on 148 times earnings. 148 times earnings. We're not disputing that Tesla is a good company here uh, on CNBC Europe. We're not disputing the fact that Elon Musk has done things that have left, uh, blazed a trail amongst all automobile manufacturers, stroke tech companies as well. What we are disputing is your appetite to look at the underlying data, the fundamentals that for history that, that Warren Buffett, that other investors always have looked at when you look at whether you want to buy a stock or not. You want to buy a stock on 148 times earnings? It's not for me to say. It's just for me to point out that you are buying it on those metrics as well. I mean, what are we talking about? A market cap now of 373 billion US dollars, yeah? What's it up for the year? Do you care? You don't care, do you? 300%. There you go, I told you. Right, let's have a look at oil anyway. Um, the worst performers of the week, definitely, definitely the energy sector. What do you think the energy sector, this is the stocks, by the way, is down for the week? 
5.5%. Yeah. So, you, again, you know, fundamentals may say that's right or not. But, again, tough session for crude earlier on. And then it rallied up a little bit as well. But still year-to-date down 32%. A lot of people have been looking at what the JMC is doing. Um, virtual conference been held but by the likes of uh, Barkindo and Novak and others. The fact of the matter is it's the demand side that you guys are really interested in. Well, demand out of key markets such as Asia. So let's have a look at those Asian markets. They have actually mounted a bit of a rally. The ASX 200 hasn't. Uh, the Shanghai Composite has. Uh, and the Nikkei up four tenths of 1%. So uh, th- again, the team were asking me, do you want to look at the US futures? And I said, yes, yes, because this is my point. Look at that. The US futures once again showing a robust start to trading. So then I looked at the European uh, opening calls from my friends over at the spread betters. Oh my goodness me. I thought, you know, maybe FTSE put on 40, 50, 60 points after its big last yesterday. About 13 points, I think it's called at the moment. I mentioned the US weekly jobless claims, and I'll do it again. They've unexpectedly risen after slowing in the previous week as 1.1 million Americans apply for unemployment aid. But the total number of Americans collecting jobless assistance did fall to 14.8 from 15.5 million. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.